I know we're live right now, possibly, but I'm just going to share this link real quick with my buddies on their page, and then we'll get this show on the road. So be patient. In the meantime, uh, why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves? This is for those who don't know. These are my new buddies, Ventuelo and Suede, and they are um, they seem they are an award winning production crew. They're award winning a show, Ventuelo and Suede. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, you want to talk or should I? <laughs> Doesn't matter. We take turns normally. Our web series is what we're busiest with. We uh, have a 10 episode web series, which premiered January 1st of this year, 2020. I We wrote it together, actually. <laughs> and uh, uh, this is something that we've been uh, planning for a long time. So we're detectives in our real lives, right? Yeah, it feels real to me. And so this is a, this is a look inside our real life. We decided to put it on the screen right episode so everyone could see the exciting lifestyle that we follow as investigators, private investigators. In Brooklyn, New York. That's where we're based. That's where our office is. Oh, sweet. How long have you been in Brooklyn for? Well, most of our lives. Grew up here, right? Yeah. Uh, I grew up in Brooklyn. Moved around a lot of places, but Brooklyn has always been home, and we're back there. And, uh, well, Sway kind of feels like it's home now after all these years, right? Yeah, I don't remember where I came from to start. Neither do I. It's kind of a blur where we first uh, met. It's interesting, through the years as we uh, grew closer and closer in spirit, uh, <clears throat> kind of forgot the exact time that we met, but we've spent most of our time in Brooklyn, right? Yeah, that's the place. Nice. Do you guys do any work outside of Brooklyn? Yeah, it, it depends where the cases take us, you see. Sometimes we investigate, you know, World, worldwide, we, we've been to uh, Hong Kong, you know, and China, all kinds of cases. India, would you believe it? Yeah, we wrote about those things, too. Our cases have taken us pretty much all over the world. England also. We did a short movie about that experience. Oxford Park. Uh, that is a uh, little glimpse into some, a case that we had in rural England, <clears throat> sort of in a country house, an Agatha Christie-style setting. Yeah, the little New York noir fit in there. Yeah, well, New York noir is our style, so it's a combo of that and the uh, traditional English cozy mystery kind of thing. Yeah, that's that's where we traveled, one of the many places that we've been to. Nice. I have to ask you guys, what's been the most interesting case you've solved so far? Oh, to choose the most interesting. You know, I think the, uh, the viewers have to help us out there because we have so many cases that are so so wild and unusual and uh, fun and exciting. So to choose one, gee, what, what do you think? Yeah, that's a good idea for the viewers to help us out there. Uh, if you look at, uh, if you watch our series, 10 episodes, 10 different suspenseful cases to, to see us in action, reenacting, right? Yeah, that's right, reenacting. So uh, I'd be interested to see what, what the viewers think are the, would be the, the most fun or or interesting among them because it's such a variety and we've got more coming up. Nice. Speaking of which, I hear you just got a new season renewed. So yeah, yeah we're starting season two. We're getting all set to, to shoot it in a couple of weeks here, right? In New York City. Yeah, season two coming up. Uh, I finished writing the scripts uh, uh, well, a couple of months ago. Yeah, well, I, I helped him, of course. <laughs> yeah, okay. You were the brain behind it. 
well, of course, I have the brains behind this whole operation, but, well, mm -hmm. well you, you know, he, he's pretty good, too, but uh, without me, let's face it, what, what will you be without me? What do you think? Nothing. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, in any case, we, we're a good team, right? Yeah, we do work well together, so season two coming up, we're planning to do it. We didn't know if we'd be able to because of this whole pandemic situation, you know? Mm. Thing. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of day by day seeing we're as we're making plans, seeing if we'd be able to. As of now, we've got the green light because in New York State, um, film crews have been given the green light to go ahead and, and uh, start producing, start shooting again, following all kinds of uh, safety guidelines. So, of course, we're planning to do that, to follow all the guidelines and uh, start shooting uh, in August, a couple of weeks. Nice. Hey, we got a question for the audience. Who or what inspired you to become a ventrilo or to become a vet talent? Well, you see, I was uh, I was inspired. Oh, I think that the question is for me. Oh, I, okay, you, you take it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, my greatest inspiration was Paul Winchell. Mm. Uh, you know, growing up, I, I saw him on TV at various permutations of the, the show that, that he had, and uh, I've had many other inspirations through the years, but uh, Paul Winchell was. Uh, my inspiration, but it, it coincided with the fact that I, I realized from a young age that it was my, my destiny. Yeah, because of his name, you see, if you didn't figure it out, just yeah, think about it for a minute. Oh, what's his name? Dan Trillo. What a coincidence. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, I grew up uh, Van Trillo thinking, when well, it was a little boy, and I started seeing Paul Winchell, I, I thought, wow, I feel something special, like a connection, like I, I got to do that. Why do I feel so strongly? Then he realized it's his destiny. Because that's his name. Yeah. Van Trillo. Van Trilloquist, that's my destiny. Nice. Now, how'd you two meet? Yeah, well, we were saying it's kind of the all fuzzy there. Yeah, because I think we, we kind of blocked it out of our, our consciousness. Yeah. Um, it's a funny thing. We both have this mental block about that. You know, we have these early memories. We used to perform in, in nightclubs and you know, comedy clubs, stuff like that. But how it all started, it's just a, a blur. Yeah, a, a, a big blur. So it's a funny thing. There's something about the, uh, the connection that we have that we, we kind of um, uh, feel like a Twilight Zone uh, you know, in concept of, of how it started. So we just remember, we have vague memories of performing. We do remember that, right? Yeah, all the New York City, the comedy clubs and all kinds of stuff like that. Sometimes kid shows, too, but I don't like kid shows. Dan does it. He does the kid shows. Yeah, I do with, uh, with other public partners. Uh, all right, but with with uh, uh, Sam Suede, we, we just uh, do adult stuff. It isn't like working for kids. No, they're real annoying. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I just have these. We have these these vague memories. So somehow we we found each other. We started uh, performing together, and then we became detectives at some point. Mainly because of uh, of Sam here. Usually we go by our last names. You may have noticed that you know Trillo and Suede. I don't I don't like calling them Van. Sounds kind of dorky. And, uh, <laughs> and, also, and Sam, well, he likes when I call him Swag, so, so Trill and Swag, we go by last names, but Van and Sam sometimes. Uh, anyway, this is uh, something that uh, he got sick of doing, that performing. You know, it's very demeaning to do that. It's humiliating, you know, to stand on a stage and do the traditional ventriloquist type of shows. You know, like, look at me. I don't move my mouth, and the dummy's talking. Only it was the wrong dummy because he should be the dummy, not me. <laughs> Okay. So it was it. It's kind of disgusting. I really, I got fed up with that. I said, "Listen, you want to work with me in something? It's going to be something else. None of this, none of this crap of the ventriloquist shows." 
So, uh, so he, he was thinking, I was thinking, put our heads together. You know, we like to investigate things. We like to analyze things. We're both cynical. We're very skeptical. So we think we'll use those qualities to our advantage. We the a uh, dynamite uh, detective team, and we tried it, and, well, uh, here we are. Mm. Absolutely. So what um, do you guys remember the first case you ever solved? Very first case. Well, it's uh, it's a little, you know, a little embarrassing. It was uh, you know, okay, Mrs. Kalinsky. She was a neighbor there, a neighbor in Brooklyn. Yeah, she came into our office. We were sitting there twiddling our thumbs. Nobody was entering for a couple of days. Then she came in and she said she lost a case of the filter fish, and we had to go search for it. We eventually found it. She she uh, had it behind her sofa in the living room. She forgot that she put it there. She mixed it up with a with an ice cooler, and there it was, uh, a whole case of jars of gefilte fish. But we found it, so it was officially our first case, the case of the missing gefilte fish. <laughs> what about, what's been your most recent case? Uh, most recent case, uh, let's see. Well, we had uh, in episode 10 there, we showed it in, in season one. Season one of our web series, yeah. It was... Um, uh, a missing rabbi, right? Yeah, Rabbi Norman. Rabbi Norman went missing. And Zoe, that's uh, his uh, his niece. She came to the office just trying to find out what the heck happened to him. And it, it turned out there was some some uh, mischievous stuff going on with a, a jealous rabbi, Rabbi Shmutzik Pupik. Yeah, Rabbi Shmutzik Pupik was very jealous of Rabbi Norman, some infighting there in the family. And a uh, love triangle also, a love triangle, yeah. So uh, we had to track him down. But we're not going to tell the resolution of the case. Because you got to check it out for yourself. Actually, it was kind of a cliffhanger. Yeah, actually, we don't have the resolution in episode 10 of season one. you got to tune into season two for that. Yeah, because that was a cliffhanger for season one. Season two, you'll find out what happened to uh, Rabbi Norman. Hmm. Leave them on a cliffhanger. That's always a great episode, you know? Yeah. Especially yeah. when you have a new season coming up. Yeah, so yeah. Guys, that's what, what happened to him. Yeah, you got, you got to tune in for that. It yeah. shocked me. And I'm not shocked very easily, I'll tell you that, but it surprised me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, so we're, we're going to shoot that and the people can see for themselves. Absolutely. Do you guys have any, any other crimes lined up for this upcoming season? Oh, yeah. Anything that we can give away? Yeah, every episode has its own case. Well, we're gonna get some surprises too. We got some characters returning from season one. We got mm. some new ones also. Very, um, it's gonna be a loads of fun. Actually, yeah, you want to tell us something about it? Yeah, without giving too much away, uh, we have uh, always a string of femme fatales who come to our office, which fits our uh, our genre, right? Yeah, we live in a genre. If you didn't notice, we live in. In the genre of film noir. Yeah, film noir genre. Somehow that permeates the atmosphere of wherever we are. Especially in our office. <laughs> right. And uh, so that means what's film noir without femme fatales? And what are femme fatales without me? They come to our office because they, they heard about me. They saw me someplace and, you know, they really dig me. They gravitate to me. And that's why we get them as clients. Because they, uh, they're attracted to me. Mm hmm. Not to be, you know, it's hard yeah. not to be with your personality and all that. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, I can't help myself, and 
And uh, the Danes can't help it either. They see me and they just go, gaga. <laughs> yeah, Trilla, Trilla's always jealous of that, but what could he do? It's the, he's got to face the facts. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's true. It's, it's kind of, it bugs me sometimes, but uh, but not usually, because I've grown accustomed to the fact that that's just the way it is. You know, I have certain talents, he has certain talents, and, um, you know, that's uh, the gals just tend to really go for him, but it doesn't bother me anymore. Don't believe him. He hates it. <laughs> Another question from the audience. Where do you find the supporting characters in your series? Well, uh, you know, there's, uh, we audition them. It's uh, it's not easy to get on our series because they got to really be able to replicate the way things really are, you know, uh, the good characters to be believable. Yeah, to be believable. So we um, go through an auditioning process in uh, New York City. Luckily, we're located there. Are lots of actors. Lots of unemployed, desperate actors. That's right. So... Mm -hmm. um, We've been auditioning last couple of weeks. We're auditioning lots of actors for each role. We're going to have callbacks. The auditioning has been on Zoom uh, video, uh, you know, because of the pandemic limiting your exposure. Mm -hmm. So we've been auditioning uh, just uh, on the computer screens, but we'll have callbacks for the major roles this weekend to find the decision. Yeah, that's it. We find them. They're all over the place, you know. So we got a lot of applicants to choose from. We've got some dynamite actors coming up. Anyone notable that you can that you can let us in on? Well, on our budget, you can be sure there's nobody famous. <laughs> That's right. We have dynamite actors, but they're unknown. Well, or pretty much unknown. Yeah, <clears throat> this is self-funded. You know, out of our own pockets, season one, and even season two. Yeah, we're really crazy to do that. <laughs> I, I guess so. you're crazy, Johnny. You're crazy. I'm using my money for this thing, but um, I'm doing it one more time. This is the last time we'll be able to do this. Uh, as a self-funded project, but as you can imagine, it's tight budget, but I'd say it has very good production value, right? Yeah, that, I wouldn't do it otherwise. Yeah, yeah so, uh, but I, I decided to take a gamble on this in season one and now even season two because I believe so much in the project. Me too. It's been many years since we've been uh, thinking about this, trying to figure out a way to produce it. A legitimate production. It's hard to get the dough, you know? Yeah, hard to get that, that dough. We came close many times over the years, over two decades, it's been 20 years since we've been pushing these concepts of writing various scripts for feature films. TV shows, also TV series. We got some lovely rejection letters. Yeah, early on, the first year that we were pitching this around, <clears throat> we pitched it to Sky TV in the UK. Got a lovely rejection letter, as uh, Sway just alluded to, in which uh, the woman who's in charge of, uh, of production, of development there, uh, said that it's fantastic and brilliant and hilarious. All kinds of adjectives. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't fit their criteria of the direction they want to go in or something like that. So they passed on it. And we've come close a number of other times, too. But that was so frustrating that we decided last year, we just got to get this thing done ourselves. And we think if it's out there, it's going to develop a, a following that's really strong. And maybe go someplace uh, big after that. You know, like maybe Netflix or Hulu or something like that. Amazon, HBO, Showtime, one of those guys. We think one of those guys maybe we're going to pick it up there. Yeah, we're hoping after this season two, we got if we have two strong seasons out there. And season two is going to be even better than season one. Yeah, I, I think so. We both are pleased with season one, right? Yeah, the season two is going to take it to new heights. Yeah, I, I'm very excited about season two. So we think with that all out there, that um, it's, it's going to pick up steam. We certainly uh, 
hope so, believe so, and we'll be able to then pitch it to something big and get a, a big series going. Nice. So I hear it's an award-winning show. Can you tell us about the awards it's won? Yeah, it's really something. We started hitting those awards uh, shortly after we produced the first episode and released it. Yeah, uh, shortly because it was weekly episodes. We released them weekly, starting with January 1st of this year. And uh, after, even after the first episode was released, we started showing, uh, submitting what we had out there so far to uh, various film festivals around the world. And it started winning prizes in almost every one. Yeah, almost every festival that we uh, entered, we we won something. Uh, at the very least, official selection. You know, one of the uh, films that they decided to actually uh, promote and, and screen, uh, which is already kind of small category. But then we've outright won uh, the festivals in our categories for for quite a, quite a few of them. Yeah, you know, best web series, best web series. Yeah, we we won that that award in. Uh, uh, half dozen or more festivals and best comedy and several other of them. Uh, so it's really been uh, very encouraging, right? Yeah, it's a good sign we figure that this this stuff is for real. The potential is uh, is outstanding, unbelievable. Yeah, well, remains to be seen, but we're very encouraged by the response so far from all these film festivals. Awesome. Now I've got a few questions from the audience here. If you don't mind asking, we're gonna go three in a row. <laughs> The first one is, can you tell us about your ebook? Oh, yeah. Oh, While the Village Sleeps. You know, we wrote that a few years ago. Yeah. While the Village Sleeps is a murder mystery featuring the two of us based on our escapades that I alluded to before uh, in, in England. And uh, <clears throat> takes place there. And we uh, novelized it. We, we had a screenplay. We were trying to, one of the things we've been trying to get produced, right? Yeah, but we, we couldn't. That fell through. So we figured... Well, we, we got to get something out there to the uh, to the general public, the general audiences to enjoy. So we made it into a, an ebook. Yeah, self published ebook. So it's uh, on Amazon Prime right now. Only ninety nine cents, I think. Is that what it is? We're crazy. Yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, still selling for just ninety nine cents. So uh, almost free to uh, download your own uh, copy of it. Uh, very fun and exciting uh, case that we had there in. Uh, in England, while the village sleeps is the name of it. While the village sleeps. Our next question from the audience is: Do you ever think about doing a stage play? Well, we thought about everything, including that, but it's kind of low on our list. Yeah, uh, that's something we haven't actually written out or, or made any uh, direct efforts in, because we've been focusing first of all on feature films, right? Uh, starting, as I said, twenty years ago. Yeah, the very first one we wrote. It's called the Hong Kong Canary. And the adventures took us to Hong Kong in real life. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so this is about a missing uh, icon, iconic uh, uh, jewelry item um, or piece. It's a family heirloom, really. Yeah, called the Hong Kong Canary. Yeah. And <clears throat> so uh, that was our first one. And actually, episode one of season, of season one is the Hong Kong Canary. So that's a very... Uh, uh, miniaturized version of it, abbreviated version of the, the full the caper, the, the full case. So you can get a glimpse of that, the Hong Kong Canary mini version in episode one. Well, we also wrote uh, the TV series. You know, we tried to pitch that for a long time also. We alluded to that, the uh, uh, Sky TV, right, in, in England? Yeah, that's right. So um, uh, that's uh, another thing we're pursuing. pursuing our, we wrote a few 
feature film screenplays and then uh, episodes of TV shows, outlines and treatments, they call it. Treatments. Why do they say that? It sounds like you're sick. A treatment. Yeah, they call it treatments uh, when you write uh, you know, like a synopsis outline of, of a show. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we're pitching those. So we're focusing on those, the, uh, the screenplays uh, for feature films or TV series. We're still hoping maybe one of those things will or, or both can can come true. But then we uh, we kind of put it all in the back burner We uh, for a few years. We kind of gave up on it, figured that this is not going anyplace. Uh, so, uh, you know, we just kind of uh, uh, put it on the side, forgot about it. Um, but then when we got the idea, well, we got to do something. And even though we're going to put our own money into it, but we, we have to get the public. Once it's out there, people are going to like it. And uh, so that's why we decided on the web series. Because it's a little cheaper than the other stuff, you see. It's not cheap, but it's a, it's not quite as a much dough you need for it, you know? Yeah, so uh, the web series is more cost-effective cost than making a feature film. And potentially you can reach more people more quickly than a feature film. It's much longer to get out there and get it to the public. So web series has much more immediate potential. So that, that's what we settled on doing. That's awesome. That's awesome. A web series definitely works. I can attest to that, you know? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, stage play, though. Yeah, it's a, it's a good idea. I mean, we did think about that. Yeah, we thought about that, but uh, with the goal in mind of reaching the most people as quickly as possible, stage play is not the best way to go because it's, you know, much more local. So maybe if it's, if it's successful, you get you might get a following very locally, but we don't want to just be local. Mm -hmm. Our next question from the audience, who creates the music? Or who creates the... I think they meant music there. Yeah, well, I can tell you who who creates the music, but I don't know who creates the music. Yeah, it's music. <laughs> music. It's yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, we have uh, uh, Ben Barshai. Well, I forgot his name for a minute. Oh, it's embarrassing. Uh, ben Barshai. I hope I didn't get his name wrong. I drew a blank right now, but I think it's Ben Barshai. My apologies if I got that wrong. Somehow it sounds like it's not quite right. I'm not sure either. But he, he's a, a hell of a musician. Yeah, he's a great uh, guitar player, too, guitarist, jazz guitarist, and also a composer. So he composed the uh, uh, the music for us. Nice. What type of music do you typically, like, follow? Like, what type of music do you incorporate into your show? Well, we like to stay true to the atmosphere of the, the world that we live in, the universe that we live in. You know, throw that to the 1940s. But that's... That's our reality, you see. Yeah, mm -hmm. kind of live in an alternate universe. That's what we think. It's real to us. Yeah, it is real to us. So that we love the music from the period too, like uh, the jazz from that early, uh, from the, from that early Oops. era, nineteen uh, thirties and forties mainly. So that that style, the film noir kind of uh, soundtracks. That's what we're going for. That's what we're using. Hmm. Interesting. Now, what do you guys do outside of? Outside of solving crimes, what do some of you like your hobbies and stuff? Well, uh, you, you know, we get kind of sick of each other. We hang around so much working together that we, uh, we we try to find other activities away from each other. The trouble is, we like some of the same stuff. We wind up doing it together again. Kind of sickening. <laughs> okay, yeah, but uh, well, I think he's referring to watching film noir. We love watching film noir uh, movies, older and older again. We can't get to it. We don't. They don't get tired of them. Yeah, like the Maltese Falcon. I don't know how many times we keep watching that. Casablanca. Casablanca. Oh, that's debatable. Debatable whether that's film noir. People argue about that, but it's uh, kind of in the in the genre. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, 
uh, Murder My Sweet is another famous one. Double indemnity. Double double indemnity. And to say that three times fast, it's a tongue twister. Yeah, double indemnity. Well, there's a long list of them, so we do that. But aside from that, I, I play the piano when, when I have time. I was a serious pianist uh, at some points during my life. Don't play much anymore, trying to get back to that. And, uh, and I... Uh, you know, I, I uh, like to hang out with the dames, you know, all those gals who, who dig me. I'm pretty busy with them. I go out on the town with them, and we have the whale of the time together. <laughs> yeah, that's he has more social life than I have. <laughs> yeah, I can say that again. <laughs> Before this pandemic, how high was your bar tab by the end of the night? Well, you know, those, those chicks dig me so much, usually they pick up the tab. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't think it's yeah. I can only imagine. Uh, yeah, I don't know. He's got the uh, best of both worlds and all worlds. <laughs> so, so how can how can your fans contact you, guys? Like, let's say we need someone to solve a crime here. What do we do? Oh, oh yeah, well, that's all through word of mouth. Yeah, it's a strange thing because we don't want to be inundated. You know, we're very fussy about our clients. You know, they don't have to all be have them to towels. Well, it helps, <laughs> you know, but they don't have to be, uh, you know, uh, beautiful women. Although that is it's my preference. Yeah, I know it's a preference, Adam, but no, we have other kinds of, uh, of clients of all kinds, too. And the thing is that we we, uh, we don't advertise. That's like a, maybe a quirk of ours, right? Yeah, because we want to know that whoever comes to us really appreciates the fact that they're getting the best, the best detectives possible. Yeah, so... Uh, so they got to just like ask around for us. And that's our test for them. If they really are serious about going to us for, to, uh, to solve their, their case. Yes. Yeah, so you got to just ask around, go around in the streets of Brooklyn and, uh, you can also ask around on, on the web. Yeah. You can maybe ask their information in the, in the group on Facebook. Yeah. Facebook. That's one way you can find out how to uh, contact us, uh, or even send us a message through Facebook. So, you know, that's a way. Kind of cheating, but we accept it. Yeah, we accept that kind of cheating. Send us a message through our Facebook group. Uh, you look Trillo and Suede Facebook uh, group. There's, there's only one. Only one official one. I don't think anyone has started one yet. I hope not. But <laughs> we are the official one. And, uh, yeah, they can always send us a message through there. Well, on our YouTube channel, too. Send a, a comment. Yeah, you can write comments. Cryptic comments, secret messages under the videos. Uh, on our YouTube channel. You know, we don't only have the web series. We've got a, a whole bunch of other videos also. They're really cool. Yeah, on our web series, on our uh, official YouTube channel, Trill on Suede, uh, we do have the 10-part season one, season two coming up. We also have a whole bunch of other videos, Trill on Suede videos of various kinds, you know, more informal, not, uh, not kind of, uh, you know, uh, scripted episodes, but uh, all kinds of fun. So uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, you can find it easy. Just uh, Google our name. Yeah, search for our name's Trill and Suede. You can go to the YouTube channel. You can uh, write comments and contact us through there as well. That's awesome. I'll definitely look into that. Now, what if a fan, like, have you ever gotten, like, requests for shout-outs or, like, messages to people, you know? Kind of like those uh, requests, like, hey, can you uh, sing happy birthday to someone? Or can you uh, send, like, a... Uh, which, what are they called? Like when you insult someone, you know. Oh, they, they, you know, we used to do that for a while. Not anymore. Yeah, we, we were doing that for a while. The, the people, uh, uh, you know, could hire us to send personalized greetings. Well, we still consider it again. If people uh, have an idea for that, they can contact us. And maybe we'll 
that again, but we kind of gave that a rest. After all. We, we used to do that. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, now we got uh, also Indiegogo. The uh, last few days, we're in the last few days of our Indiegogo campaign. Didn't want to forget about that. Almost again. Yeah, but we, we do want to mention that because this is a, our campaign of crowdfunding for season two. We're going to shoot it either way, but this is going to help a lot. Yeah, so uh, we got this going now, this uh, Indiegogo campaign to raise funds to help with the production of season two because, as I said, it's out of our own pockets. And you get some cool benefits if you if you make a contribution. Yeah, we get some some perks. Um, that one of them is a shout out. That's when you remember that, right? Yeah, if you contribute something, we'll give you a shout out. Yeah, uh, one of the perks is, is to get a shout out for, first for uh, you know on a Facebook group to uh, announce your name and thank you. Uh, but for a certain uh, donation level, then uh, we'll do the personalized video. Uh, just like you're alluding to uh, for birthday or anniversary, any special occasion. Yeah, so that's one of the things you can get by being a, a, a part of this, a contributor to the campaign. Yeah, and various other uh, levels of uh, donation for other things, like even maybe a walk-on uh, in the season two or various other things. So check it out. Go to our Indiegogo campaign, Trillo and Sway. There's only a few days left in that. As I mentioned, though, this is a kind of campaign which is meant to help us to uh, produce this the way we want. We're gonna shoot it either way. Yeah, well, we're gonna shoot it either way. So even if it all comes, or most of it comes from our own pockets, we're determined to shoot it. But uh, the more help we get in these waning days of the campaign, the uh, uh, more we can do with the project. That means we won't have to cut so many corners, you know, because of the budget. Yeah, because uh, otherwise with the production uh, budget that we have, uh, and our funding it ourselves, and if not much is coming from the, the campaign, then uh, <clears throat> we won't be able to shoot every scene the way we want to. We're going to have to cut some corners and you know not do it really optimal way just to get this thing done. So this will help make season two. Uh, your contributions will help make season two the uh, outstanding season that it has the potential to be, right? Yeah, phenomenal. Okay. Yeah, it's going to help for sure. Mm-hmm. How much do you try for like an autograph or something like that? We're not doing autographs right now, but that that's not one of the options. But hey, we'll consider it. Make us an offer. <laughs> yeah, make us an offer. Now, the, the, the autographs are one of the things where um, one of those particular perks, but uh, hey, uh, we'll consider it, right? Yeah, who knows? Anything's up for uh, negotiation. Mm hmm. Alrighty. Now, I always ask my buddies this whenever anyone that comes on the show, I consider it everybody. So I'm going to ask you guys, what's your advice for two things? Number one, if someone's thinking of creating a web series like you guys. And number two, for those who want to do something like this, like partner up and do something like solve crimes or, um, you know, do funny videos, stuff like that. What would your ultimate advice be? Yeah. Well, also to do a web series, uh, first of all, you need to have a concept. Um, if you want to go in this direction of doing something creative, you know, if you want to, if you want to really have a, a chance of being like going viral, if you want to have the best chance of, of going viral, then don't, don't do something creative like this. Do something stupid. That's what usually goes viral. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I'm afraid. That's my impression too. Yeah. You know, like, uh, you know, I mean, forget all this creative crap, but you know, that's not a way to go viral. You want to go viral, do something like, uh, do videos of uh, 
monkeys farting or something like that. Okay, <laughs> well, but whatever it is, um, if you want to do something uh, creative like this, well, you do need the concept. That's the most important thing. So, you know, it's not enough to just get out there. It's not kind of a trick. And, well, we don't have uh, answers for, uh, uh, we're not exactly marketing experts, are we? No, if we were, we'd be uh, world famous right now. Yeah, I, th I think we, we may be may have been world famous. We're good at marketing. Unfortunately, we're not good at marketing. As far as uh, if you're asking from a creative standpoint, uh, it's the concept that's the most important. Start with that concept, something that excites you, and then uh, do something that pleases yourself. Uh, that you know, don't think so much about what's the audience going to like. Think about uh, what do you enjoy, what do you find exciting, funny. Uh, whatever you know, and then if if that's if, if that feels good to you, it's more likely that other people can appreciate it also. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that advice. I got nothing to add. What? <laughs> right. uh, so you know, uh, you know, there's, there's this guy Jonathan Gethner. You're not even be asked about the advice thing. I gotta mention him because I hear about him. It's very annoying. They say that he he creates this stuff. Yeah, there's a rumor going around. This guy Jonathan Gethner is. Is behind us like like we're not real or something could you imagine that nick i mean the people actually think that we're not real and that you know, we were created by this guy jonathan gethner mm. like, yeah okay the, uh, but you know i do have a kind of uh, sense about him that there's a there's an aura uh, jonathan gethner i kind of it's sort of like a, a ghost sometimes I, I feel you really think so i don't know he's you know, uh, Trillo's gone a little nuts here, I think. Yeah, but I do, I have a feeling like he's, he's around and, and uh, the, not that he writes this stuff or created us, but he may have something to do with this. You know, I think he's slipping out. Yeah, but, you know, in fact, I have a feeling that, that I don't know, if not in reality, maybe the ghost of, of, of this thought process is around in some amorphous uh, way. You think right, right here in this house, huh? He said this before. All right, let's go find him. Let's see if you could find him. Okay, if you don't mind, we'll take a look. And, you know, maybe this uh, uh, fictitious, possibly fictitious force called Jonathan Gethner, maybe he's lurking around here. Maybe he'll come and talk to you. Who knows? Okay with you, Nick? Uh, fine with me. You guys will okay. well, be right here. You, Nick. Yeah, see you again soon. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. They'll be right back, folks. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Thank you for joining us. That was Trillo and Suede. And um, like I said, they're going to go solve a quick crime. But in the meantime, wait. Who are you? Who are you? Hi there. Well, so you must be Nick. Yep. Yeah. Well, I was overhearing that, uh, that interview, frankly. It's very interesting to me because I'm the creator of Trillo and Suede. They don't like to accept that fact. They don't want to believe it, but... Yeah, I did create them, so I, I enjoy seeing them take it on their own like this. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you: You're the creator of those two uh, those two goons over there. How did you How did you come up with that concept? Well, it was, oh, it was probably 25 years ago. I first thought of this idea. I didn't do much with it for uh, three or four years, but then maybe 21 years ago, <clears throat> I uh, got serious about it and, and decided to write a script and for a feature film. So uh, as those guys were saying, since I was overhearing mm -hmm. the interview, uh, <clears throat> the Hong Kong Canary was the very first one. And it was uh, utilizing this concept of a ventriloquist and his wooden partner, detective duo. 
uh, who solve crimes uh, in the style of of film noir. And why I because I, I love that genre already. Uh, I was a fan of the genre of, of film noir, and to me, it's kind of the ultimate of, of my favorite kind of this detective atmosphere and uh, movie genre. And so. Um, I was thinking how to combine that as a ventriloquist because I was already a, a professional ventriloquist. And to, to utilize that, I thought the absurdity of uh, of ventriloquist detective in that kind of very serious atmosphere because you know, it's, a, it's a very somber, gloomy atmosphere of film noir in general. And this absurdist humor that I was going for, that I generally like to go for, I thought fits really well in that in that genre and atmosphere so i put that together wrote the script hong kong canary and shopped it around for a while as as they mentioned um, almost got a, a deal for a tv series on sky tv fell through and a few more deals fell through during the years of uh, the ensuing few years i wrote several other screenplays feature films and uh, almost got production deals several times uh, the never-ending story of rejection for Trillo and Sway uh, got so frustrating. I uh, wrote a script that takes place in India. And that's because there was a production deal that I was being tentatively offered by somebody to produce a film company in India, or to co-produce it at least. And that fell through also. Uh, and Shanghai, one that would take place in Shanghai, China. Anyway, five in total of these feature films. One of them was While the Village Sleeps, taking place in the UK. And as was mentioned, that I novelized, I made into a, a novel as an ebook a few years ago. So uh, that was the process through the years, trying to figure out ways to produce something and falling up short each time. And that's why last year, I finally, after having pretty much given up on ever doing anything really big, substantial with Trillo and Suede, I finally, it's kind of looking at my life, it was at a turning point in my life, it was kind of at a low point too, because several things were, were happening that I was very uh, unhappy about in uh, my personal life. And so um, I, that became the catalyst though, for me to decide, well, kind of, I was kind of giving up hope about a lot of things in my life. So uh, what the hell, I might as well just do what I really want to do. What do I most want to do, at least professionally, creatively? And is that own sway? It's still not nagging me. I said, well, you know something? No matter what it costs me, I'm going to do it. I'm just, and, and I decided to do it. I'm glad I did. Yep. Hey, you just create, you just explained why I did buddy cast, you know? Because it's right. something I always wanted to do, especially during this time with the pandemic and everything. Yeah. You know, just like I've always wanted to do something like this, like just listen to people's stories, hear about like, how they create everything or how they do, you know, what they do. And uh, I thought, you know, a lot of people are stuck at home right now. So now's the perfect time. You know, you got a captive audience. Yeah. I've noticed that it's, uh, it has led to a lot of creativity. A lot of people doing things during this pandemic. I mean, it's, uh, you know, of course it's a very negative thing overall, but there is that, that upside to it. For so sometimes out of adversity can come things that are really good and creative. So I feel that's what's happening. It's, it's helped to uh, also uh, lift my spirits in general, too. It's one of the things, uh, other things, too. But it's uh, brought me to a much better place in my life. So I'm really uh, looking forward to this. 
among other things, to pursue this. Mm -hmm. So you would definitely say pursuing a hobby was what can help someone during this pandemic time. Yeah, uh, I guess it's cliche about pursuing your passion, but you know, if you don't pursue your passion, well, what else are you going to pursue? You know, try to uh, as much as possible. Sometimes we have to find ways around it. You know, workarounds. We can't always do things exactly the way that we want, but at least go in that direction as much as you can to pursue mm -hmm. what you love to do. Mm -hmm. Now, someone asked your buddy uh, Trillo here, but I'm going to ask you, what inspired you to become a ventriloquist? Oh, well, I I had done already uh, in my young uh, adult life, uh, I was pursuing several things. One of them was a, to be a, a serious pianist. I made some efforts off and on to be a concert pianist. So I took it seriously when I was young, but I, I didn't take it seriously enough because I, I had too many interests. So I, I wasn't working hard enough on it because that's a, that's really a full time endeavor. You can't play around with trying to be a concert pianist. That's, you know, that's your life pretty much if you want to do that. Mm -hmm. and I, I was, I really, I eventually realized that I'm not dedicated enough to, to pursuing that, to have any shot at that. Plus I had, a lot of stage fright. That was something that was a big problem for me. Uh, terrible nerves about performing. So um, eventually I realized wisely that's really not for me. As much as I love music and love uh, the piano and classical music in, in particular, uh, that's really not something that's that's viable for me to pursue as my main profession. Uh, but there are other things that I got involved with, the improv, theater, uh, comedy, writing, uh, so that was a big help, but I got involved with improvisational theater because it made me comfortable on stage. Stage fright didn't carry over to that, fortunately. I didn't have that. It was only about piano, psychological reasons, which I could go into, but I won't because it's too much to go into right now. Uh -oh. But for whatever reasons, I didn't have that kind of stage fright, and I don't have it as a ventriloquist either, luckily. I mean, sometimes it depends on the occasion or events. Uh, you know, sometimes I have some nerves, but not nothing like uh, what I experienced as as a pianist. So, those are some of the things I did. Another thing that I was involved in as a young adult, um, I have a degree in Yiddish language and literature uh, from Queens College, City University of New York, and so I became a Yiddish scholar and also Hebrew. I learned Hebrew and taught that as well. A lot of people. May not know it. They're two two separate, two different languages. There's some overlap, but they're they're also they are two different languages. Yiddish, they're both Jewish languages. But so I learned both of them. Yiddish is the one that's that's kind of dying out, unfortunately. Very few people really speak it fluently anymore. But that's my specialty, actually. And I, I translate. I still do it part time, teaching Yiddish and translating Yiddish. So that was my one of my part time careers and giving piano lessons and getting involved in improv theater. But one day, I saw this uh, ventriloquist in Central Park in New York City, one of the famous locations in Manhattan. And it was the first time I saw a ventriloquist performing live, and it blew me away. It was a great moment of inspiration and epiphany that I just felt that I have to do this. Like This is the most amazing thing, because it, it was the perfect expression of my sense of absurdist humor because in particular I I was always drawn to any kind of humor which had a lot of absurdity into it in it because that's part of how I see the world or experience the world 
uh, as being very absurd in many ways. So that's the type of humor that I like to do. And so what's more absurd than that? And also, not just absurd, but also blurring the lines between reality and illusion. Uh, you know, what's real, what's not. And so making an inanimate objects speak and bringing a puppet to life or creating that illusion more than any other kind of puppetry. So to me, that's what drew me more to ventriloquism rather than, I mean, I, I enjoy puppetry in other forms too. I even use puppets uh, in, as in the uh, teaching aids sort of in the schools that I was teaching in. Because I, I taught uh, uh, Yiddish and Hebrew and other things uh, part-time in, in some schools. But uh, the when I sort of discovered ventriloquism, that to me felt the strongest kind of puppetry possible if it's done well, because you're sort of creating that illusion more than anything else because you're not hiding as other puppeteers have to do or, you know, uh, or ask people to you know, not notice them. You're really out there and you're really creating that illusion. People see you. It doesn't look like you're talking. And so, again, if it's done well, it's not always done well, but a good ventriloquist creates that illusion of reality for the puppet stronger, I believe, than any other form of puppetry. So I was sold immediately. I made it my life's mission to become a ventriloquist uh, as soon as possible, I practiced like crazy, and I was doing it professionally within a few months, and doing it full time or almost full time within a year. Awesome! So it only took you a few months, like it only took you a little bit of time to master it. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say master, but to get good enough to perform and to be pretty good at it. And uh, through the years, I I got better, improved over the next few years. I mm. think owning my my art, holding honing my skills. But yes, I did take to it very well. I did have certainly a knack for it so I, I was pretty good even after a few months I was already pretty good I'd say nice nice now we have a request from the audience you think you could play I see a piano behind you you think you could play us a quick piece oh well I'm gonna have to pass because I this is one thing I really have barely played the piano for months literally so mm -hmm. yeah I could play something but I guess I, I still have a lot of that perfectionism that I mm -hmm. to before which gave me you know, stage fright in the past. So if, if I'm not, you know, sort of in shape, I, mean, I particularly, I just don't feel good about playing. No problem. So That's why we you know? I mean, yeah. I, just, I realize it's not really the, a good attitude because I wish I would, I wish I could feel more relaxed about it. Like, sure, I, of course I could play something now, but I'm like, ah, it wouldn't be my best. So it's like, I'd rather mm -hmm. not. Anyway, next time. We'll do it again sometime and uh, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll invite you on the show. I'll invite you on the show next time and, uh, We'll focus yeah. just on the piano. Uh, yeah, give me a little heads up. Remind me, hey, this time you said you're going to play something. So I yeah. will play I will play something next time. Absolutely. So how do you get um, – how? what about this upcoming season for these guys? What's your hope and dream? Like what are your, some of your what – what do you want the outcome to ultimately well, be? As, as Trillo and Swade were, were mentioning back then, uh, I share their hopes that, that we're going to be able to – to use this as a, as a demo or a pitch for a big series on one of the main networks, uh, cable or otherwise, but you know more likely Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, HBO, Showtime, <laughs> whatever, uh, one of those guys. Uh, I haven't tried to pitch it yet because it's very hard. To even I'm not even sure how to do it yet uh, to get an agent or to get through to them. To these guys, you know, if you're not already famous or you don't already have connections that are big in the industry, 
it's very hard to, to they won't even look at most people just trying to pitch something to them. But if you get a, enough of a buzz on the internet, first of all, they may they may come to me. They, they sometimes come to like uh, because of winning all these contests. I was hoping you know, maybe they'll someone's going to notice me from one of these places or notice the series and and come to me. But uh, if not, uh, I might be able to pitch it to them uh, because I could uh, uh, you know attract uh, the interest uh, of an agent uh, or even get through the door of these uh, these places just by having something that's getting a lot of buzz on the internet. So I figured I'll really make an attempt after season two is out because I'm hoping that season two on the heels of season one is going to kind of snowball and really pick up steam and get me uh, a lot more subscribers, a lot more views. And, uh, and then uh, either it's going to happen organically or at least I'll be able to use that to, to get through the door and pitch this to get some some real series going, some big series. Mm-hmm. Now, did I ask you before, like, with the episodes, how do you, like, how do you get creative with them? Like, how do you create the, um, like, the crimes that these guys have to solve? Uh-huh. Or... Yeah. Um, my way of writing is um, I find that I, I can feel very stuck if I try to um, just think of, of uh, the plot to begin with. Like, um, I'm, that's really not the best. My strength is not thinking of any intricate plots or something, things like that. Uh, but so what I do is I rely on on character and free free association. So what I like to do to start off is I just start typing any ideas that come to my head related to Trill and Swade and things that they places they might be, situations they might get into, characters they meet, something surprising that might happen. There's all kinds of ideas. I just throw out ideas onto the computer screen and then I. Take a deep breath and look, okay, what do I got so far? And what happens that starts to trigger more ideas. And so then I think of a plot usually after that. Then I think like, oh, that that's a funny, I like this idea. You know, they meet over here and then uh, this character comes in and then the surprise comes when this other character does this and then this person says that and, oh, why would he say that? Hmm, maybe because he's hiding something. What would he be hiding? Oh, maybe because that's... Uh, a piece of jewelry was missing and maybe he's deflecting and maybe that's not even uh, the person who stole it. Maybe that's a false lead. Maybe so. so I, I start taking more, this idea leads to it and it just see where it leads, just, but keep throwing out ideas. So that's the only way that I, the best way that I feel that works for me is to just keep throwing out ideas and then, then take it and try to mold it into something that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now, how often, like, how long do you think it takes you, on average, to create a new episode with all the ideas that you were mentioning? Yeah, uh, when I start to actually sit down and, and do this, I, it seems like I've been writing very quickly uh, the first drafts of each episode. Well, these are short episodes, so they're uh, you know on, on my budget, I I could not afford to shoot. Uh, I could barely afford to do what I'm doing now, but I, I couldn't plan on doing 30-minute episodes or, or beyond. So these are uh, about five-minute episodes. And uh, actually, season two is going to be longer. It's uh, about uh, seven-minute episodes probably is what I figure. Uh, but still, short episodes relatively, right? So uh, I find that uh, uh, I've been – when I started to sit down and write season two, uh, I would often be able to write an episode in one day. 
but that's not the finished draft. I mean, the first draft in one day, but you know, after uh, like a few hours of writing, uh, sometimes two, so one to two days, I'd write an episode, and then uh, you know, then I hone it. Then, or actually, I usually go down to the second episode. And after I write, wrote ten episodes, I might have done the ten episodes in twelve days or so. Uh, write all all ten episodes, but then I'd go back and maybe take a break, a couple of days, then go back and look again and do a second draft. So take a, a Maybe the second draft on each one wouldn't take a whole day, but maybe uh, an hour or two I'd spend on each one, improving each draft. And, you know, it's hard to, you, well, I don't think anyone gets it right on the first draft. I mean, that would be, I'd be pretty amazed if anyone ever shot a movie or anything uh, from the first draft as <laughs> a shooting script. Uh, they're always uh, honing. So you, you got to be very critical of yourself, which that, that was a hard thing to learn at first when I started writing the early screenplays too, uh, is to be very uh, self-critical and try to really look at it as if it's someone else's script, because ego can easily get in the way, because every writer gets attached to what what they write, you know, so it's like, oh, I, so sometimes I realize, oh, I, I really like that line, I think that's a great line, but then I really, but you know, the line doesn't fit, it just doesn't fit in this in this series or this episode or this scene, so even though I like the line, I got to cut it. Or maybe I go off on a tangent, something like, uh, "Oh, I like this little uh, little monologue that I gave the character to do. I thought that was that was funny." But then I realized, but it's it, it slows down the pace of the plot, so I got to cut it. You know, so, things like that. Because so it's got to be very self-critical. But it took a few. I'm I did uh, four drafts. I'm up to the fourth draft for season two, and this is pretty much the shooting script. Uh, you know, I'm going to try to tweak it a little before we actually shoot it. But I'm satisfied now that. It's pretty much the shooting script. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have the se- do you have the second uh, the second season all complete, or are you still is it still a work in progress? It's still like well, as still- the the uh, the scripts themselves, as I said, there these uh, this draft I've done four mm-hmm. drafts uh, is uh, pretty much the shooting script. Uh, I may tweak a little bit here or there, but I, I'm uh, pretty happy with it now that I that it's you know, ready to be shot. Uh, but there are other things that go into it we're planning right now. Uh, I have a, a director, director slash producer, um, a young woman who is very talented, whose name is Kat Holm, who is going to direct and, and produce this. I'm the executive producer, which mm-hmm. pretty much means that I'm the one who puts up all the money for it. But I'm also in uh, involved in, in the production, too. I'm helping to produce it, too, to arrange things, to find things. Uh, to put things together, but she's the the main producer. She's doing most of the producing preparatory work, and she'll be directing it too. I, well, I mean, I I will be kind of a co-director too because uh, you know, so we'll kind of co-direct it, meaning that I have my own vision of how I want everything to be. So uh, it's it's my project, it's my my baby. So uh, I've discussed with her how I want it to be directed. I'm going to leave it. To her mainly, but you know, I'll be chiming in too sometimes when I want the actress to try something different, something like that. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you find like, uh, how would someone audition for a co-star role or like uh, an extra? Oh well, uh, we put ads in backstage. Backstage is the trade paper for, in New York City, the, the most famous one for actors, where people put the, the castings, they announce castings for the roles, they describe the roles, and people apply through backstage. I mean, it used to be a, a newspaper uh, 
prints. I'm not even sure if, it's, if they still have the print editions or not, uh, but it's mainly online now. And that's one. And there's another one. Breakdown Express is, is another one, I guess, a competitor to Backstage. That's also big. Uh, uh, so between the two, actors apply through those two. And we've, we got hundreds of responses for uh, the main roles. We got several hundred actors applying for each main role. And then we have small roles, too. We've always got a lot of actors for each role, however small. So we go through there. We look through their their you know, resumes and the uh, their media, meaning uh, their videos, uh, video clips from what they've done before. Uh, and uh, we had to narrow it down. But most of them, we, we cannot audition, obviously. We had to narrow it down severely just for starters and get maybe uh, 12 that we want to uh, audition for each role. And then from there, and we've been doing that on Zoom, and from there we're going to have callbacks. We'll have maybe five for each role on the, on the callback. Mm -hmm. Someone wants to know if you can put out more takes on your YouTube channel, because they are hilarious. Oh, yeah. I'm glad that, uh, that uh, you enjoy them. And uh, season two will have a lot more outtakes, I'm sure. Uh, but we're, we're planning in advance to uh, uh, to sort of keep track of that more. Uh, not just that, but I expect season two to be to be more fun and more funny outtakes to just result because season one was done under extreme pressure uh, and stress. All kinds of things were going wrong in the shoot. Somehow we were able to salvage it and. I, I am pleased with the result. I, I think it, it came off pretty much the way that I envisioned it. Maybe not everything that I wanted to do, but pretty much we were able to do what I envisioned. So I am pleased with season one. But season two, I really think it's going to be even better because I'm, I'm really excited about the scripts. And I've learned from my mistakes, some mistakes in season one. And uh, I have a, a director producer who I'm very pleased with this, uh, this season. Um, and uh, a cast and crew that well, you know, I was very happy with uh, with the, the cast um, and most of the crew um, from season one. Not all the crew, but most of the crew and uh, and all the cast uh, from season one as well. But season two, I think, is going to be uh, we'll avoid certain certain mistakes, and so we won't be under uh, the terrible stress that I that I was under for one thing, shooting this thing. So. That's why not too many funny outtakes. We did have some, as uh, Dave mentioned there. But uh, I expect that this, even though it's going to be grueling, it's going to be a grueling shoot, a difficult shoot, but I expect we're going to have more fun than we did on season one. And thus, I expect we're going to have a lot of fun outtakes. Mm -hmm. Now, the same person is asking the following question. Do you ever think about doing alternative endings? Not on my budget, no. <laughs> I've had... If Netflix gives me the budget to shoot, uh, to have more, to play around more with this, yeah, then I'll probably shoot alternate endings as well. But um, on my budget, things are very tight. Uh, there's still um, some leeway for, I mean, we have alternate takes uh, of, of, the, you know, of each shot, but um, I don't have that much leeway to play around too much. Uh, we're going to have a, a 10 or 11 day shoot to shoot the whole season. All 10 episodes and as I mentioned they'll be a little longer I expect they'll be about seven minutes average in each episode 
And to do that in 10 days of shooting is going to be pretty grueling. Um, although fun too, I, I expect. Exciting. I should say exciting and, and uh, grueling, challenging. But uh, no, not room to do much alternate stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now the same person asked one question that I didn't get to earlier. Just doing a little callback question. Who taught you the art of ventriloquism? Um, I'm self-taught mostly, but I did start off by having uh, three or four lessons with a ventriloquist named Todd Stockman. I found him when I saw that ventriloquist live that I mentioned before in uh, Central Park, uh, Columbus Circle, Central Park. Uh, then I looked in backstage, in fact, the one I just mentioned, the actor's trade paper in New York City, print version in those days, that was a long time ago. And I saw an ad for Todd Stockman that he did. And through his service number, I, I called and left a message, asked him if he does lessons, if he gives lessons. And I, I took, as I say, three or four private lessons. He, so he got me started teaching me the basic techniques, enough that I knew what to practice, how to practice. And then on my own, I just continued practicing. Awesome. All right. I think I'm going to come up with my final question for you. Yes. What's your advice for anyone who wants to be a ventriloquist? Oh, these days it's a lot easier than when I began, which was over 30 years ago. That was pre-internet. And uh, so uh, in those days, as I said, I started with a few private lessons. Then I went to every ventriloquist show I could find in New York City. Luckily, I lived in New York because there are, there's a lot of entertainment here, a lot of uh, ventriloquist shows. So I was able to find ventriloquists performing in comedy clubs mainly, and I watched them every time I could, went backstage when I could, tried to ask advice sometimes, and sometimes they would give me some points of advice, sometimes they didn't want to, uh, but at least that was one way. I started going to the ventriloquist conventions. There's an annual ventriloquist convention which takes place in, I'm not sure where now, it's, it used to be in Fort Mitchell, Kentucky, near Cincinnati, and they moved in recent years to someplace near there, but I forget where, because I haven't been there for many years, but for a number of years in a row, the first uh, 10 or 12 years of my ventriloquist life, I went every summer religiously to this convention. So that was a big help in, in developing my act just by watching other ventriloquists of all kinds performing and they had workshops on various, various aspects of the art and the business. And so it was, it was fun and it was very educational. So that's something to look into. If you are serious about becoming a ventriloquist, try to get to the ventriloquist convention. Well, this year, of course, it was canceled because of the pandemic, but um, they hopefully will be back in business next year. And other than that, I mentioned the internet. Well, people teach ventriloquism on YouTube now. There are various people. So you can just uh, just watch it. Uh, the instruction, they, it varies. Some people are better than others at, at teaching it, I've noticed. But yeah. find out for yourself. Try different ones. See who you find is more helpful. Other people produce um, series, like DVD series, for uh, for teaching, for learning ventriloquism. So you can you know, Google and you, you'll find them. Uh, there are a couple that, that I found were good. I forgot the names now that people who teach you are good. So I, and I don't want to leave anybody out, so I won't mention right now. But you Google yourself or ask around. You can join ventriloquist groups on Facebook. There are a couple dozen ventriloquist groups on Facebook. Join them and ask around there. Post post uh, you know, a 
notice or get a comment or just make a post saying, you know, how do you suggest I learn about children? People will give you all kinds of advice. Awesome. Awesome. So I am on that note, I think I'm going to wrap things up here. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for bringing your buddies Trillo and Swade on the show. They were awesome. Thank you. My pleasure. And I hope you guys have a fantastic season too. I'd love to be an extra if I could, but you know, uh, well, we'll talk about it. We'll yeah. see if we can work that out somehow. Absolutely. Absolutely. So for all my buddies out there, this is my buddy, Jonathan, and you just met his buddies, Trillo and Swade. Thank you again so much for being a buddy here on BuddyCast. As I end every BuddyCast with now, I ask, go be a buddy. You know, go be someone's buddy. Oh, and I also forgot to ask you one question. I'm starting this new thing nowadays. If you could donate, if you could have our viewers donate to one charity of your choice, what would it be? Oh, there's so many. Uh, I mean, it's possible. They're good causes. And right... Um, off the top of my head, it's hard for me to say. I, I don't want to choose one, uh, like, uh, haphazardly. I'll have to get back to you about that. I'm sorry. If right. you could just say one now, just like off the top yeah, of your head. Yeah, because the thing is, it's not just that the, the type of ch charity. It, there are, yeah. Some I know are better than others and uh, are, like, more legitimate than others. So, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there are, you know, there are many good causes. So, uh, as far as uh, best cause... Uh, I, I, it's hard to, like, I don't want to, like, choose one. It seems like I'm saying it's better than another necessarily. But mm -hmm. uh, I guess uh, any cause that, uh, I'd say this, that I mean, because you probably know uh, better than me, um, like, what, which one maybe specifically would be better than, that helps people, like, let's say, helping people who are, uh, who are poor, who, who need uh, financial help, uh, or struggling like that, um, those kind of, uh, that kind of cause uh, uh, is something I, I like, but I don't remember right now, like one in particular to, uh, to recommend, because I like to, when I've donated to that kind of cause myself, I like to first look at uh, which ones really help people like to get out of poverty, not just give donations to them, but there are some that that help uh, maybe train train people, give them kind of skills, or, or help them to uh, help themselves, that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. I just want to make a city mission. What? Like a city mission. Yeah, maybe that's yeah. So I mean, I've donated to causes like that. I can't remember the names, so that's why I don't want to give a name right now. Yeah. But something like that. Yeah. I think it's important to try to help people to get out of this situation, not just a temporary. Uh, mm -hmm. Just a temporary boost. That's the best kind, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You aim, how about send me a when you think of one, send me a link to it, and I'll add it on this episode at the end. Okay, sounds good. Yep. All righty. Well, thanks again for joining us on BuddyCast. I hope you had a good time. Tell your buddies, uh, Twirl and Trade, that I said thank you so much. And uh, for all you guys out there, like I said before, go be someone's buddy. All righty. We'll catch you next time here on BuddyCast.